Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. Hello, and welcome back to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Uh, this is where we tell you with shocking accuracy exactly what will happen in fantasy football in 2020 uh because it's been a highly predictable year so far uh why wouldn't that apply to our football lives as well i am andy barons uh your host for the day i am joined for this episode by yet another member of Razball's deep roster of writers they're all they're all mistreated and disrespected by gray albright of course he's a tyrant um, but they are given voice here on our podcast today. Alfred Fernandez is with me. Uh, what's happening, sir? How are you doing? Hey, uh, I'm doing great. You're right. I, I was able to get written permission from Gray to you know speak on another platform. So really appreciate it. But I'm sure he's watching and making sure I don't say anything disparaging about. Radical. Oh yeah, well, like blink rapidly if you if you need to <laughs> if you need us to to rescue you from Rasball Manor or wherever you are right now. Everything is fine. <laughs> You look exceedingly professional. We were talking about this off pod. Like the collared shirt is just not something I've seen in everyday life in in quite a while. So uh, I would have I would have dressed more appropriately if uh, if I'd only known. No, unfortunately, I do still have a day job, so I am headed there. And uh, you know, but um, I should have I should have brought a cool fantasy relevant maybe my scott fishbowl shirt or something like that but uh maybe next That's like, time seriously six out of every seven days i'm just wearing some some league shirt that i got on rotoware or that rotoware sent me I've, yeah it's what i'm in right now i mean that's just like my my constant attire um we have been excited to get you on here actually for the last uh for the last couple of weeks you published a two-part piece on sort of finding the next big fantasy stars a while ago. I think you published it back in July, um, but we've just been talking for a while because it was a, a super simple concept and really, really useful. It's called uh, This Year's Next, basically. And the idea, of course, is to identify players in the coming season who have a shot to accomplish what we just saw from some breakout star in 2019. So again, simple concept, just incredibly actionable and useful, and it fits with a theme that I've been trying to, to roll into this podcast at least once a week and that we really got into with Chris Raybon a handful of weeks ago, which is just like, once we get through the first four or five rounds of your draft, man, you got to make big swings on upside. And drafting for bye weeks or drafting for, I don't know, almost anything other than trying to hit a home run with every pick is, in my opinion, kind of a waste. Uh, that flips a little bit if you're in a league with like 16 teams or 20 teams or something like that. But in most fantasy football leagues, 99% of fantasy football leagues, which are 10 teamers, 12 teamers, you just got to find like one of those four or five dif true difference making players each season who can swing a, a fantasy title because you're going to whiff, you know, on a dozen different draft picks. And it simply doesn't matter if you hit on 
Lamar Jackson in the right year, or you hit on Christian McCaffrey in the right year, and you just get those home run players. So um, did I say anything that you disagree with there? Like that seems, I don't know. I feel like everybody should be on board with no. that. Yeah, no, I uh, 100% agree with you. And and upside wins championships for sure. I, you know, I've been playing fantasy sports and football for about two decades now. And I finally along the way learned that... Um, you just don't need to really balance a roster. You know, you need the the sure things in the early rounds. But yeah, like you said, I mean, after round five or six, I mean, swing for the fences, you're going to turn over that roster yep. almost completely by the end of the season, whether it's injury or just guys that you bust. So, I mean, just I've taken the opinion or taken the view that like, I'm going to turn this roster over. Why not take guys who, if they pop, they win your league. Not if they pop, they you know, our useful third receiver. I mean, yeah. Um, that's not love helpful. the way you put it in your story. I believe the exact quote was value alone rarely wins fantasy championships. Outliers win titles. That is entirely yes. true. I always recommend that people, you know, if you won a couple leagues last year, go back and look at your draft in those leagues and look at how many hilariously bad picks you made. Cause you did, you did you, but you nailed like two or three huge things that put you in the mm-hmm. playoffs and then took you through to the championship. So Today, I want to. It was actually a two part feature that you wrote. They're both really good, but I'm so perfectly in sync with the with the second part. And it was it was mostly about players to fade, players that you're not too into, and right. and the the people don't need to hear me um, downplay the fantasy utility of Josh Allen for like a sixth time. So I'm not go- <laughs> I'm not going to do that here. I just did it kind of, but I'm not going to do that uh, for any protracted period of time. We're going to focus on part one of your feature. Um, because that's where like a lot of the hype was. That's where that's where a lot of the, mm-hmm. the you know, real recommendations were um, players who are are very strong breakout candidates. And you again, you kind of fit it into the framing of let's look at somebody who did a big thing last year and who might be a candidate to do something similar this year. And I want to start with something that is it's just like it's just a loaded phrase. Like when when we say who's going to be this year's Lamar Jackson I feel like we need to qualify that with Lamar just did a thing that nobody had ever done. No, nobody from the quarterback position had ever run for 1,200 yards or even sniffed 1,200 yards, right? Like, that's just not – nobody Nobody had no. ever led the league in passing touchdowns and in yards per carry. And the one of my favorite stats from last season is, in fact, that in, in standard scoring formats, the gap, the per-week – scoring gap between Lamar Jackson and the number two fantasy quarterback was greater than the gap between number two and number 24. Like he was a total outlier at his position. (laughs) It is the greatest single season in terms of per game scoring at the quarterback position in fantasy history. So you would probably agree there's not going to be a this year's Lamar Jackson in that sense. Right. But if we're just no, go ahead. That yeah, I mean that that's an impossible uh, thing to actually call the yeah the next unicorn outlier <laughs> season of all time. Yeah. Truly, I had a team with with Ljax last year, and uh, it was actually a bad team. But he truly won me a couple weeks early, then able to shuffle things around and make the playoffs. But he was my whole team. Yeah. I mean, my literally my whole team for the first five weeks. But that's exactly um, what so we're talking probably, about. If you nail it on somebody like that, if you absolutely nail it on one of those right. couple of guys where like it's just a guaranteed entry to the playoffs, you can make a thousand other mistakes. And quarterback is a position I've never thought of, you know, as a difference making position. But like you said, I mean, when you've got a guy outscoring the, your opponents head, you know, in a head to head, he's outscoring your opponent's quarterback 
by a, such a huge margin every week. It's uh, it was truly a transcendent season. So yeah, we're not. I'm not sitting here saying I've identified the next Lamar, <laughs> but it's a very very. Uh, inexpensive quarterback to acquire in your drafts, not a lot of draft capital. Uh, but I think he could turn out to be a weekly starter. That's what I said. You know, I said a, a very low cost quarterback who turns into a weekly starter, not the greatest quarterback. Of I all think, time, I think but. in your feature, you, you kind of pick the right guy. Cause he's, cause he's really cheap. Um, and there's a little bit of, you know, everybody obviously knew Lamar Jackson's like shocking rushing upside because he'd already averaged 80 rushing yards per week. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy that you chose in your feature has kind of that sneaky rushing upside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Joe Burrow, come out and say it. The rookie for Cincinnati, you know, he's going to start week one. There's no question about playing time. But he's got I think he's got a couple of other things that that make him very interesting. Probably a bad defense. Probably a fairly fast-paced offense. You know, in the first couple of weeks last year, when Zach Taylor had just taken over for uh, the Bengals and they had running all cylinders, Dalton had a great game. I mean, was it their first or second game against Seattle? I mean, they they kind of lit it up. I think he wants to run fast. I think he wants to run no huddle, uh, and you know, Burrow just did it last year for LSU. So I think there's going to be a high volume passing attack. He's got very fun weapons. Um, I said in my piece, I think he's going to challenge Baker's 27, I believe, touchdowns as a rookie. I think that's very possible. It might be ugly. It might come with 20 interceptions. But, you know, I think he's also got 20 to 30 rushing yards per game as well. Similar to like, um, you know, Andrew Luck always had sneaky rushing. Yeah, it's a good call. Um, Aaron Rodgers, sneaky rushing. We don't think of these guys as like uh, Lamar Jackson or, uh, you know, uh, Kyler Murray, but they'll chip in three points a game rushing. That's that adds up. That's actually really nice. Yeah, I think this is a really good call. And particularly if we'd had, I think I've probably said this a handful of times, um, but if we had a normal offseason, man, I I would be all about Joe Burrow breaking Andrew Luck's rookie passing record. Um, I think he still Mm -hmm. has a shot at Baker Mayfield's passing touchdown record for rookies because it's a little bit of a soft record. I think I think Lux is over 4,300 passing yards, which is pretty legit. And attempts. Yeah. I mean, Andrew, they just like unleashed Andrew Luck. I mean, he had he might have had 600 attempts as a rookie, which is just out of control. Yeah, but I but I think that's definitely in play for Burrow, because as you say, game script is going to be in his favor and it's just it's just super rare that anybody comes into the league um as the number one overall pick at the quarterback position and they have receivers like this right it's just sort of a fluke mm-hmm. that aj green was out all year tyler boyd's really good um they, they just got talent all over the field on offense better offensive line it's a it's a great setup for joe Burrow. so i think he's obviously the right call here for each of these i'm going to try to give like another option that could also fit that and so I'm going to throw out a guy who you actually mentioned who is going much higher in drafts and is not the value that Lamar Jackson was. But I think I think Kyler Murray is obviously a player who can also take that step. He he just ran for 500 yards, um, kind of a an almost weirdly low passing touchdown total last year that I think climbs. He can get he can get into that 28 to 30 range. He obviously the the thing that you really like about Kyler Murray in Arizona is that there's total continuity there in terms of coaching staff and most of the skill positions, except that they added one of the best receivers in all of football, right? So no matter what you think about DeAndre Hopkins uh, and his fantasy potential in a new landing spot for like for him, it's pretty great for Kyler Murray. I mean, this is a huge problem for defenses. It, it's absolutely outstanding for Murray. So I can easily imagine Murray making the leap to 4,000 passing yards, 27, 28 passing touchdowns, another 500 rushing, five rushing scores. It's pretty hard to avoid the top five at the position when that's your year. 
Yeah, and he's got um, he 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 has the ingredients to you know quote unquote break the system the way yeah. that that Lamar did last year. But like you said, I mean, he would have been an easy candidate except for his ADP is now like you said. I mean, top five, six, uh, at least in dynasty. I think in redraft probably as well. He's right up in there. Yeah, it's it's really dicey because we're I, there. There may have been certain leagues last year where everybody was kind of in on Lamar Jackson. Like you know, I had him as a as a candidate to be the number one overall quarterback. A handful of other people were pointing out that like look if he just plays 16 games and he runs like he did the prior season it's gonna be really hard for him not to be top five so i i feel like in more industry leagues last year lamar would be one of those top especially late in the game lamar would be one of those top six quarterbacks off the board and that's been the case for murray this year everybody's on murray um hometown Mm -hmm. leagues and expert leagues alike everybody's kind of on murray is the next big thing so the the next category you had uh, this this one's pretty fun, and you had an interesting answer to it. You, you went with this year's Miles Sanders, the rookie running back who who starts slow and finishes big. Um, tell us who you went with. Yeah, I went with Cam Akers uh, of the Los Angeles Rams. The reason I think he parallels Miles Sanders' trajectory, you know, drafted to a, a pretty good offense uh, with a murky backfield. You know, Sanders last year landed. They had signed Jordan Howard, who everybody knew is a limited guy. I don't even think there was much else. Boston Scott came along later. I don't even think he was a thought in the beginning of the season. But Looking to share touches early, but a second round draft pick with amazing athletic potential and a little bit raw was his calling card. Uh, And it was a slow go. I drafted him in a number of places and I was, it was tough to start him for the first six weeks. You know, it was just riding that hope that he'd bust uh, out. And then of course he needed a little help, but eventually forced his way into the starting lineup. And I think that could exactly be what Cam Akers does. Uh, now we've got a little bit thing going on with H- Henderson's hamstring that might open the door a little sooner. But the talent's there. The draft capital is there. The offense is good. They're going to move the ball. He can catch. That's a big thing. Uh, a guy who who's going to you know challenge for four to five targets. So I I love him. Yeah. So one of the one of the odd things that happened with that offense last year, and this probably had a lot to do with Todd Gurley and his health and the maintenance of Todd Gurley as they. They weren't targeting the running backs, obviously, as they had. Um, but you see that as a part of Cam Akers' game that that can be there as a rookie. Seems to be that way. And at, at FSU, I think it was his senior season, he had like over 10% of the target share or receptions, one of the two, but a volume share of, you know, for a running back, that's great. I mean, at least 8%, and he was over 10%. I think had 16% of the receiving touchdowns. So highly, highly leveraged in the passing game at FSU. So I think he's got that skill set for sure. Yeah, you, you mentioned the the Henderson hamstring issue too, and that is that is going to be a huge thing in terms of, uh, of Cam Akers' draft position, I feel like, going forward. Right. Because I... I moved him up a little bit. I've 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 been not as bullish on him only because I was a you know, I wasn't super bullish on Henderson, at least maybe not as much as others going into his rookie year, but I but I do generally believe in him as a player. Like I felt like he was probably going to get the first shot and so I did, you know, I'm not one of these people that's taking Acres like in the in the early 20s uh, among all the running backs, but Boy, now if Akers just starts getting first team rep after first team rep and Henderson can't go for the next couple of weeks, I mean, there's there's no way that Akers isn't going to have a pretty big role uh, early That's in the true. season. And I think I think McVeigh even there's a quote last night that said they hope he's ready for Dallas yeah. which is week one. So, I mean, if you're if you're saying if you're saying now that you hope they might be ready. It's Akers. I mean, it, it's he's yeah. going to skyrocket, unfortunately, for your value. 
Yeah, I I would have said uh, in answer to this one, the the this year's Miles Sanders. I would have said DeAndre Swift, but I actually think he's going to have a huge role in in opening week. I think they drafted him. People have heard enough of me talk about DeAndre Swift, but I think he is very clearly <laughs> a better player than Carryon Johnson. Joshua Kelly could be a sleeper pick here. He's with the other Los Angeles team. Uh, he is battling Justin Jackson for for reps in camp right now. And somebody is coming out of that as like the the second piece of a committee for the Chargers because they are, you, you know, we all like Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler's not going to get 400 touches, right? Like right. Melvin Gordon was getting 16 touches, 16, 17 touches per game when he came back last year. It, it's not like Justin Jackson or Joshua Kelly is going to get that workload, but 10? So somebody here is in line for 10 to 12. Yeah, I think for, 10 to 12 for like rushes. 9 to 12 touches per game. Um, and and mm-hmm. Kelly has a shot at that. I have to officially here go with Zach Moss, however, and and Zach Moss is somebody who I think is is also probably going to have a pretty significant week one role. But uh, talked about him last week. Going to talk about him again this week. Like he's coming into a situation in Buffalo where, as great as Devin Singletary was last season, Moss has a really good shot at getting the goal to go carries, and he has a really good shot at being the primary receiver out of the backfield. And those are kind of the two things that pay the fantasy bills, right? Like mm-hmm. he just slides into some version of what Frank Gore was was doing last year, and he looks at all like the player that he was uh, in the in the Pac-12. He's going to be he's going to be huge. I think that's a nice call. I've come around a little bit more on Zach Moss. I totally don't believe in Singletary as a workhorse. He's a nice player. I think he's like the only five, thing seven, two hundred pounds, right? And Moss is two twenty I mean, and just yeah, bigger. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I mean, he, he's a good player, but he's not even us Austin Eckler level talent. Uh, so he's he's smallish, he's slowish. You know, he's a nice compliment. But I think the only thing with Moss is I'm not sure I see the the true elite ceiling. Maybe because of the offense, maybe because Josh Allen's still going to run it in, you know, bulldoze his way into five touchdowns on the ground, too, yeah. that I see for potentially like a Cam makers or, you know, honestly, even if all these guys ADPs are starting to rise, maybe it, we pivot to J.K. Dobbins, uh, who is the slow to start guy who blows up, you know, last half of the season. Yeah, I, I think there's no question that Cam Akers is the guy here that we've mentioned, with the exception of Swift. He's probably the guy here with the highest ceiling, right? He's he's somebody yeah. who could just take over a full workload. That's that's not yeah. really in play for Moss, um, right? With anything short of a Singletary injury, um, we, we we mentioned Austin Eckler a couple times there. So let's transition to this year's Austin Eckler, the multi-dimensional running back uh, who gets a big role via someone else's holdout or or whatnot. Yeah, unfortunately, this was written, like you said, uh, almost a month ago or so, and and holdouts don't seem to be taking place the way that they were threatening. Uh, I said, if Joe Mixon holds out, Gio Bernard is that guy. Uh, He's been around for a number of years, but he is absolutely a very talented running back. I, I don't think he's even that small. He's over 200 pounds. One of these guys that we all talk about, right, like Duke Johnson or whatever, is like, he could be really good if he would just get 20 (laughs) touches a game. Um, And he has. I mean, in his short time, when he has been given a starter's workload in, I think it's like two or three or four parts of games, I did a split. Uh, Basically, he was tracking for like a 1,600-yard 16-game season, you know, with five catches per game type setup uh, and 12 rushes or something like that. So one of these guys who... Their touch total is going to be more skewed towards receptions, but I don't care. That's great. We love receptions. So he's been very, very good. If Joe Mixon held out, which doesn't look like it's going to happen, uh, that was my call. Um, Someone actually mentioned to me, well, I'll let you say your guy. I don't want to steal your thunder. Well, I I feel like like there's one other pretty obvious candidate here. And again, just reading the tea leaves. and, And honestly, if we just look back at what the holdouts 
from Le'Veon Bell and Melvin Gordon netted them over the last couple of years, it, it doesn't seem like the best strategy. Right. Um, doesn't doesn't mean a player won't do it, but it doesn't seem to, you know, whatever. If you if you miss a few games, that gives you less of a chance to suffer a catastrophic injury. And so maybe you're maybe it smooths out the downside a little bit, but it sure limits the upside of these players in terms of uh, future compensation. Anyway, uh, there is a, at least some possibility that Dalvin Cook uh, is looking at a holdout. Probably not going to happen, but if it happens. Alexander Madison. I, sh- I shouldn't even need to convince people that Alexander Madison is probably somebody who can deliver 95% of Cook's production, 90% of Cook's production, and that is plenty. If Cook is out for any extended period of time for any reason, Madison is going to be a guy that we rank solidly inside the top 15, almost no matter who he's playing. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and that was one of the comments on the article once it was released. Someone someone said, hey, you know, obviously it's, it's Alexander Madison. And I I get it. And I agree with you in terms of an alternative in that space. But, you know, the thing that struck me is he's not to fit the mold. He's not exactly the receiver that Geo is or Eckler yeah. is. I think even last year when he spelled Cook, he saw like less than a target per game or something like that. So it's possible. He's not quite as dynamic. So I thought uh, Geo was a better fit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think Geo, um, if you give him a full season, in a featured role, could catch 65, 70 balls, no, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, let's hit the next category, which I believe was this year's Chris Godwin. I like this one, too, where, um, man, Chris Godwin got so much buzz last year, and it's it's the rare case of a player who is a, like a really high buzz uh, uh, fantasy player who actually crushes the expectation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the t- the, your, your framing of it was the team's presumptive number two receiver, who just rises to alpha status, and now we're drafting him as a wide receiver one. Yes, and I I love this player. I am I am really I mean talk about a plant your flag type guy this year. Uh, it's going to be Robert Woods for me uh, for the Los Angeles Rams. You know between Cooks and Woods and Cup, he has absolutely been the third guy when people think of the Rams receivers sure. for the past three years or so. When you look at the opportunities he's gotten, though, it, he shouldn't be third. I mean, he's he's on par, if not the most targets. And then he's got these amazing rushes that they like to give him. I'm almost yeah. 20 a game. That's more than one a week. And uh, he's just, he's dynamic. They use him in ways they use nobody else, which tells me they like him. They like his skill set. They want to get the ball in his hands. Uh, he's had bad touchdown luck. And I I'm a big believer touchdowns are... A lot of luck. I mean, you just got to land at that goal line. But he's got over 150, I think, opportunities if you include rushes and targets in the past two years. And basically, the the hypothesis is he continues to get that opportunity, uh, but then falls in the end zone 10 times. You're looking at, I mean, I think a true wide receiver one, I think I actually did the math. If he does the same production he has, but you add six or seven touchdowns, I mean, he's a he's a top ten wide receiver drafted you know, near the twenties. Yeah, he hasn't necessarily had the targets in the end zone that some other guys get right. in this offense. But um, all of a sudden, this is a pretty narrow usage tree, right? In mm-hmm. the pa- I'm Jared Goff now two seasons in a row, forty six hundred passing yards. Like we know, the passing volume is going to be there. It's a great environment for him. And all of a sudden, we've taken some guys out of the mix. Like they they weren't thrown to the running back position as much last year. Brandon Cooks is gone, so now we're pretty much looking at cup and woods and higby and whatever the running backs give us and there's not, not a lot else that we need to be concerned with for fantasy purposes so yeah um that this strikes me as a guy who could easily uh per, perhaps set a single season reception career best 
Right. And I think, you know, I'm comfortable saying, hey, the usage is there, the opportunities are there. And kind of saying, if if that's all I get, I'm still getting value at where I have to, you know, pick him up. And then you have that, if the luck touchdowns fall, you know, then you're just cashing in big, big time. So it's kind of one of those, like, I'm getting him at or below his floor. Yeah. And there's a very conceivable, I mean, explosive ceiling. If it, it really only takes four or five additional touchdowns for a, an easy wide receiver one season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my my guy here, um, also pretty well hyped, I think, is going to be Michael Gallup, um, who I just sure. loved loved when he came into the league. He's in an offense that, you know, Dak Prescott threw for 4,900 yards last year. There's a lot of vacated targets in this offense, obviously, between Witten and Randall Cobb. That's over 160 targets up for grabs. And we assume that most of those will go elsewhere. But if even a few go to Gallup, you know, he was, he was 113 targets last year. If he becomes like a 125 target guy... Man, he, he averaged nearly 17 yards per catch last year. He was over 1,100 yards. I, I would give him a really good chance of finishing ahead of Amari Cooper uh, in terms of fantasy production this year. Like, I think it's basically 50-50. I like Cooper just fine. Um, I'm not someone who's ever put him in that sort of inner circle, upper tier group of receivers. I can I can easily see Gallup outperforming him. Wow, yeah, you're speaking my language there. Uh, I really love Michael Gallup and... You know, interestingly, he actually had more yards per game and more targets per game. He only played uh, 14 games, started 12, you know, due to some injury issues, but more targets per game than a healthy Amari Cooper. So it's weird because Cooper's contract and money talks and all this, yeah. but like, I mean, he was better. He was flat out better. And um, they're saying all the right things this year already. What was the quote? Uh, McCarthy was like, you tell me that Gallup's a wide receiver too. I'm telling you he's a wide receiver one. So... Yeah. What else do you want to hear? I'm I'm all in at his ADP for sure. Yep, absolutely love to hear it. The the next guy, uh, the next category that uh, that you wrote about, also receivers. You called it this year's AJ Brown. Could have also been uh, this year's Hollywood Brown, perhaps like that Wookie. That Wookie. Uh, we're not looking at Wookies. Where this is not a Wookie <laughs> draft. This is not a Star Wars draft in any way. The the rookie wide receiver drafted into what is ostensibly a tough situation, but they, but they blow up. Right. And entering last year, I, obviously we didn't look at Tennessee as a ripe fantasy situation whatsoever. Mariota was the starter and whatnot. Um, we, we probably didn't look at Baltimore as a particularly ripe fantasy situation for receivers either. I remember like bemoaning the fact that Hollywood Brown landed there. Um, so I, again, I think you picked the right guy here and you went pretty deep in the ranks on this one. Right. Well, you know, it's one of those guys similar to last year. I had A.J. Brown pretty highly ranked as a rookie pre-draft. And then, of course, my heart sank when the Titans took him because of the offensive context. All the receivers actually yeah. went to went to what seemed like terrible spots, like you said, Baltimore for the first receiver off the board. Uh, this year's the same thing. I mean, LaVisca Chenault was a very highly rated guy for me in terms of just my, my in a vacuum rookie talents. But then Jacksonville is kind of eh. Uh, you know, coming in behind a, a, one of the blowups last year, DJ Shark. But I just, his skill set reminds me a little bit of AJ Brown in the sense that he's a, he's a big, big guy, a monster in the open field and a yak, potentially a yak, uh, you know, monster uh, again. And I think he's going to get fed targets more than we believe. I think Gardner Minshew He's more comfortable targeting, kind of more of an intermediate. He's not a gunslinger like your Jameis Winston or something like that. He he wants to keep that a little bit more in the intermediate field. And that's where you can design space for Chenault. And like I said, I think 
may start with three to five targets per game like A.J. Brown did. But uh, if he can explode and show his his amazing athletic ability, he'll earn more. Yeah, th- this is a really good answer. That team is going to chuck it. Game script is going to be with them. This is this mm-hmm. is in all likelihood not just going to be uh, Leonard Fournette from I formation running 350 times. It's not going to be that. Like mm-hmm. Minshew is going to throw the ball. Uh, they're going to put the ball in the air plenty, and they've got some really fun playmakers on that team. I went with uh, first. First of all, I think that the right answer might have been Brandon Ayuk here, but he's also dealing with a hamstring situation. Just got dinged, uh, which is really unfortunate because that you know possibly no Debo to start the year. We're looking at a receiving core that's like outside of George Kittle. It's like Trent Taylor and Dante Pettis again is, is back from the back from the dead, apparently. Um, so Ayuk was going to be in a, in a terrific situation. But again, he's dealing with an injury right now. So I'm going to pivot to uh, Brian Edwards uh, with uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders. That's obviously a, a really cluttered receiving core right now. They've got some fun rookies. Henry Ruggs is obvious, obviously has star potential first receiver taken in the in the draft four two speed and all that. Edwards is going to be fun. And Derek Carr keeps going out of his way to praise him and to talk about, you know, compare him to that sort of Devonte Adams type that he's worked with over the years that he's had in like a Michael Crabtree where it's just like a like a throw it up to the big kid and, and uh, let's try to hit some back shoulder throws with this guy. Edwards is 6'3", uh, pretty accomplished collegiate player. He was a very buzzy high school player before that. Like he's a he's a pedigree prospect. Um, and again, he's got a he's got a path here to a, to playing a bunch of snaps early in the season. So I don't he's not going to be a guy who gets like 130, 140 targets or anything like that. But I think he can I think he can really make some noise if he just gets 85 or 90. Oh, yeah. And I actually think I, I think I got into a little back and forth with someone on Twitter recently. And I think both Raiders re- rookie receivers could get 100 targets, uh, you know, Ruggs and Edwards both. Why do you have to pick one? I think yeah. they could both just walk right into a starting role. And, you know, Derek Carr is not as as useless for a fantasy asset, I think, as he's been uh, he's been left for. Looking back, he had two years in a row where he almost had two thousand yard receivers, and when back when Crabtree and Cooper were there, and uh, and he he supplied Darren Waller with like a twelve hundred yard season last year, so he can feed he can feed some players out there. Yeah, it's an interesting point. He's almost certainly not going to finish. At, you know, the the his path to finishing as a top twelve fantasy quarterback is is not at all clear, right? It's a loaded position, probably not going to happen. But he is good enough to support more than a single uh, mm-hmm. like every week starter at, at wide receiver, and or to support a, a tight end and whatnot. Anyway, he can deliver more than one totally uh, rosterable and, and and startable fantasy receiver. You mentioned DJ Chark. That's kind of the next category here is this year's DJ Shark. And I don't like, again, <laughs> like, I don't know that there's going to be a, a this year's Shark because he was until the until the ankle injury very late in the season last year. He he was a solid top 10 fantasy receiver. He had fully blown up. And I, I don't know that we're guaranteed that this year. Oh, man, I I love players like that. But uh, but who was your second year wide receiver set to break out that people have kind of written off? Yeah, and I'm I'm still in. Uh, I've gotten a lot of uh, blowback because people have just do not want to believe he is any good at all. But I think um, <laughs> he was the second round pick. I mean, this guy is not like I'm I'm wishing on a star with some undrafted free agent. So JJ Arcega Whiteside, you know, in a second year, he he flashed a little bit last year. He also had some very bad plays, and he, he you know he set himself. He's he was out of condition. Uh, the transition to the NFL was difficult, but you know. That's for the most players. That's the situation. And yeah. you look at this depth chart, 
it's a wasteland. I mean, you know, Alshon, <laughs> Alshon Jeffrey is going to start on the pup. I'm fully convinced of that. Deshaun Jackson's a nice player. He's 34 and he hasn't played a full season in how long? Yeah. Uh, Rager's going to be great. Love him, but he's obviously, you know, you're, you're paying up for Rager. Uh, but Arzega Whiteside, I got him for like a late third rookie pick in a dynasty league. I mean, people are just giving him away for nothing. And I, he's going to be a starter on a good offense with a good quarterback. You can't say that very much for a lot of guys who people are just handing over for a fantasy asset. Uh, and in redraft, of course, it's going to be uh, you know, a little bit higher bar, you know, to roster him. But if you have a deep league, or at least at the very least, keep him on your waiver wire speed dial. If he gets six targets in week one, you know, he's going to get use, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a good call. No cost at all. And uh, you, you look at what Carson Wentz did last year with just a rogues gallery at receiver by the end of the year. It was Greg Ward. It was Nelson Aguilar <laughs> for a while. Like, like legit terrible options by NFL standards. Although, I don't know, Greg, Greg Ward was plenty he's impressive interested. given... Yeah, given given what we might have expected from him. But that was, you know, that was a very impressive showing by Carson Wentz all around. So um, it, it is easy to imagine this happening, especially in the NFL, a league that just surprises us in ridiculous ways every season. My um, my alternative here is going to be Paris Campbell flashed a little bit as a rookie, but just had a medley of injuries. It was it was a whole bunch of different things uh, that set him back and eventually uh, ended his season. And it seemed really unimpressive statistically. Um, like DJ Chark, he's he's a guy who came into the league with 4-3 speed. So he is an absolute burner. Philip Rivers has all kinds of problems, but you know he can support a whole bunch of useful fantasy receivers, right? Um, and I expect that to happen here. He's just kind of a Plenty of YOLO throws. Um, we're we're going to see a lot of Paris Campbell in the in the slot. That's going to be a good thing. Again, there's a path here to 90 to 100 targets. He's just got to stay healthy. He was a, a wonderfully talented collegiate player, a 90-catch guy, a 1,000-yard guy. Um, I, I believe he can do that sort of thing in the NFL um, if he can just make it through 16 games. Really like the talent there. I agree with that. It's a good call. And, you know, you mentioned Philip Rivers. I've done a little bit of looking into his year last year was is really no touchdowns. You know, that's why from a fantasy <laughs> lens, you yeah. know, from fantasy lens, we we all said, oh, he's old. He's washed up. It's over. The guy had like the second most air yards of his entire career last year. I mean, he was still chucking it. He had yeah. 23 touchdowns instead of approaching 30. And therefore, from a fantasy angle, we had wanted nothing to do with him. But now he's going to be in a dome. I think, yeah, I, I've become way more bullish on Colts receivers and, and Campbell is, is certainly in the mix there for sure. Well, let's hit, uh, let's hit the last category from your piece and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to throw a couple of others, uh, at you, uh, a yes. couple of, a couple of categories that I just sort of made up on the fly before this pod. The last, the last one from your piece was this year's Mark Andrews, um, Man, that was a that was a joy of a year. I had a couple leagues in which I paired him with uh, Jackson, and it was just like that was just a coronation all year. Um, the the hyper efficient tight end who really has a path to volume this year, right? and and you wrote about a pretty buzzy sleeper, I think. Yes, I I've been in on uh, Johnu Smith really since last year uh, when Delaney Walker was pretty much you know it's the end of the line for him, and Johnu was the starter. I added him in a, in a couple of spots, but he didn't do a whole lot at the end of the year last year. Flashed some amazing plays, but as a yeah. as a fantasy asset, not that impressive. But yeah, walking into this year, you've got a guy who has been incredibly efficient, second in yards per catch, I believe, uh, from the tight end position last year. Interestingly, you see, I love these guys that 
the coaching staff is telling us they want to get the ball in their hands. He had four rushes as a tight end for 78 yards, and I believe a touchdown or two last year, uh, in addition to receiving. So they want to get this guy involved. I think they're a creative offense, if not, uh, you know, married to the run game. But I think there's some wrinkles. They do some interesting stuff. They lined him straight up as an eye back at least once and, you know, gave him an off tackle run and he went for like 75 yards. Athletic freak. I think he's very good chance. He's second on the team in targets. You know, AJ Brown's the the alpha, of course, but Corey Davis is on his way out of town. Derrick Henry isn't much of a threat in the receiving game. So I think Jonu Smith could be the second receiver and just a little bump in volume. And uh, he can do a lot with, with a couple targets. This is this is a bit of an aside here, but where are you at? Like, there's a little sliver of fantasy Twitter, I think, that is trying to make Corey Davis a thing. I can't do it just because I can't imagine this offense as great as Tannehill was last year. I can't imagine this offense um, on this sort of passing volume supporting very many roster worthy, startable fantasy receivers. I think Johnny Smith has a chance to be one of them, obviously AJ Brown, but a third I'm, I'm not, I'm not really seeing it with Corey Davis. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And you know, the thing with Johnny Smith is too, the bar is so much lower for a tight end. You know, if, yeah. if, if there was a second receiver, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to want to start one of those on my fantasy teams. But when you're talking about tight end, I don't need 12 points to be useful. I need eight. And um, and so, yeah, I don't I don't think a second receiver, but because John is a tight end, I think that bar is low enough where he's real interesting. Yeah, that really is the thing that people forget or, um, you know, you're not you're not totally aware of positional context. It only takes like six touchdowns at tight end to finish inside the positional top 10. Right. Like you don't you don't have to have eleven hundred yards and 13 touchdowns like that's just not, you know, that's a number one tight end. The the guys who finish in that six through 10 range are just going to finish with like half a dozen touchdowns and 600 yards. You know, you don't you don't need that that total blow up. Um, The guy I'm going to take here, somebody I've somebody I've hyped before is going to be Blake Jarwin. Um, Again, tied to a tied to an offense that uh, that is just going to roll. I feel like Dak can, if not deliver exactly what he did last season, he's going to come pretty close to it. It's probably going to be 47, 4,800 yards. Again, there's there's over 160 targets vacated just between Randall Cobb and Jason Witten. Jarwin was plenty good last year on a lesser workload. They paid him in the offseason. He sort of fits the, the mold of the hyper-efficient player, too, because he was about nine yards per target last year. It's really good, especially at the tight end position. To me, like he's got a shot and a very clear shot at seeing 100 targets. There's only four or five tight ends in any given year that, that are going to see triple-digit targets. So he has a chance to finish in that group, which is a pretty easy path to a, to a top 10, top 12 positional finish. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't have put 100 100 targets in his uh, in his range of outcomes. But yeah, I do love the offense, you know, investing, in, especially for tight ends. Just give me someone in a really good offense. Uh, it, you know, if, if I don't love the player in particular, I'll just take the guy in a good offense because I agree with you. I, I think Kellen Moore, um, what he did last year was awesome. I uh, really yeah. brought that offense into the, you know, 20th, 21st century. And um yeah, I, I'm fine with that. I mean, again, at the at what you're drafting him at, sure, why not? Good offense and an interesting talent. Yeah, he's a total afterthought. He doesn't need all the Witten targets to get to 100. By the way, he just needs like he gets like 60 of them, and he plays a full season, and he's at uh, and he's at 100 targets. <laughs> so really like Jarwin. Um, and now I'm going to throw I'm just going to throw a couple of other categories at you, and these can be quick hits, and you can just give me uh, whatever whatever falls off the top of your head. Give me this year's Jameis Winston, a, a legit 
real life, terrible quarterbacking season in reality, but stellar for fantasy. Like Jameis was just an absolute fantasy monster last year while being um, an abysmal real life quarterback. Yeah, we touched on this uh, guy uh, when we talked about Chenault. But uh, I'm, I'm, shoot, you're going to take my guy. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I did go back and forth with a couple of uh, guys, but I'll, I'll yeah, I'll just go with the Minshew because yeah, you know, it's again the recipe is bad defense and a lot of volume. May not be quality volume, but bad game scripts coming back from behind, and their defense I think is going to be bad now. It's it's a shell of yeah. what it was the year where they were incredible. One thing I, I would, for an ideal comp with Winston, I'd like a guy who maybe challenged a little bit more downfield. Minshew didn't quite do that last year uh, from just the volume base of tar- you know deep targets. But he can make up for that with some legs. He, he definitely has sneaky rushing, like a la a Burrow, a la Andrew Luck, where he's going to give you 20 to 30 yards, I think, on the ground. But I think, like we're talking about, it could be ugly in real life. It could come with a decent amount of interceptions, and it could come with if you're rostering him and you're in the third quarter and he's got four points and you're just like, this is a disaster. And then by the end of it, 16, you know, 16 and a half points because he came back and scored two touchdowns in the oh, fourth which quarter. Is the, which is the story of Jameis's season. He yeah. would set himself up with oh, well, he'd actually be, interceptions. For- yeah, he'd actually be like negative eight at halftime <laughs> and then finish with 32 and you're just like i stopped watching what i don't know what happened but i think that could be uh the story of of Minshew for for 2020 yeah no it's a good call and we've seen it in jacksonville before too with blake Bortles, right, right? like that that portal season man um he what was he the number four fantasy quarterback in a year in which he led the nfl in interceptions fumbles and time sacked which is just <sighs> not a that's like a like a triple crown that we don't see very often and he's very somehow parlayed player, it into a huge fantasy year i'll take uh i i was i was gonna go Minshew, uh as i said but i'll i'll pivot to uh i'll pivot, pivot to philip rivers here who obviously is going to put the ball in the air a zillion times he's playing behind a, a wonderful <laughs> offensive line he's got some uh he's got plenty of talent at receiver um i i think we've arrived at a point in philip river's career where we can expect you know nobody's going to be shocked by 15 to 20 interceptions from him but nobody's going to be shocked by 25 to 30 touchdowns either so i think it can be a sloppy season as you said um ton of air yards last year he is willing to put the ball deep um and he's got the receivers who can go get it so i I think it can be a somewhat you know we've seen it from rivers several times i think it can be a really sloppy season that ends in a top 10 top 12 positional finish yeah i've definitely come around on him a lot uh pretty much an afterthought early in the kind of that offseason process but i'm, I'm kind of in on, on rivers and the pass catchers okay here's one that i don't know that we'll see at all um but but give me a this year's Devonte parker um like a former multi-year fantasy bust who just puts it all together in spectacular fashion and uh becomes a an every week starter so this is a tough one because what's the recipe here? You know, you've got to have a guy who has a high draft pick and has been given a million chances, and, you know, and <laughs> it is still on the team, uh, potentially extended to the fifth year. And we're still waiting, which that alone doesn't happen very often. So your pool of candidates, if you really want to find that um, comp is low. I'm going to go with Mike Williams of the Chargers. This is a guy who I have not been very excited about really ever since he was drafted. I was surprised to go back and look. He was a top 10 top ten overall pick, I believe, yeah. um, when he came in. One of these low-volume deep ball specialists that 
you kind of want to dream on, oh, if he could just get 100 targets 40 yards downfield, <laughs> you know, but that doesn't happen in the NFL. Uh, but he does have one season with 1,000 yards, and he has one season with 10 touchdowns. If he puts those together and you're looking at 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns, that is a top 15 receiver, I think, alone, even if it comes on 35 catches or something like that. But it's just one of those things where if those if he marries his skill sets and can get to uh, a good yardage total and then get those touchdowns he should be known for, you've got a chance. The things working against him are I don't think it's going to be an air it out type offense. Uh, although Tyrod Taylor does throw a good deep ball. We know that from Buffalo. Um, but I don't they're not going to be chucking. They have a good defense. They don't they're not going to need to chuck the ball for the second half. I don't think in many offense or in many games. Yeah, I want to say just like off the top of my head, I feel like the the one the one receiver that Tyrod really helped elevate to you, you know total starting status week in and week out was Sammy Watkins, right? Another semi bust, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a little bit of a comp there. Um I mean that's kind of you know th- those are the routes that are friendly to to Mike Williams as well, the the downfield stuff. Because the, the passes that Tyrod in you know and I'm I'm doing this without data at my fingertips, but I feel like the passes that Tyrod won't make necessarily are some of those short range ones that might otherwise go to a tight end that might go to Eckler. Keenan. Um, Tyrod's going to run in a lot of those situations, but he has demonstrated that he is perfectly willing to to put uh, to throw the ball deep and and give his uh, big play receivers a chance. It's an interesting marriage of skill sets there. I'll, I'll say that. And again, there's not that many guys that you can say are even still on their team in the fifth year waiting for a breakout or something like that. So he kind of fits the bill. Maybe that'll happen for. Yeah, I don't I don't actually have a guy that fits the Devonte Parker um, uh, <laughs> description perfectly. Right. Like, as, as you say, it's such a small number and I'm too much of a coward to pick John Ross. So I'm not going to do oh, that. He was on um, my list. Yeah, but like that's the that you know I'd, maybe I can unofficially pick John Ross who, <laughs> you know, man, um, that kind of speed is so rare. Um, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to pick John Ross because, but it would probably still hey, take we're going bold. An injury Upside to someone. Wins championships, man, just do it. Yeah, I ha- like I've actually drafted him. I was in a I was in a 16 teamer in which uh, I took Ross like in the round before I took a kicker. Right, like it's <laughs> just a random flyer. It's a little bit of a little bit of belief in Joe Burrow, which mm-hmm. which I absolutely have. Um, I think Joe Burrow can finish as a top 10 fantasy quarterback this year immediately. Um, I, I think that's very much in play, and there's a possibility at least that John Ross like this. Might very well be the last go round for for John Ross because it hasn't happened yet. But again, four two speed, we don't we don't see it very often, and he's about the only other guy that comes to mind that has like draft pedigree and multiple seasons of of profound disappointment. And so he yeah, was, I'll do uh, it. you know, he was used pretty creatively uh, in the beginning of the season yeah, last year. Yeah, he, you know, I think they recognize what kind of a weapon they have in John Ross, and so yeah, for a minute he was like a fantasy wide receiver one, right? He was like a guy, for two yeah, weeks or something yeah. like that. I yeah. mean, no AJ Green now, but AJ Green maybe he's bad. I don't know. He didn't get injured already, kind of. So, uh, yeah, it gave us a scare. But I agree with you. Uh, Joe Burrow, you know, the biggest thing for him is an insane completion percentage last year. And that is one of the biggest things that's going to translate to the NFL. Uh, he's very accurate. I, I think he can succeed pretty quickly and pretty early uh, because of that. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you. Betting on anything in the Bengals offense is pretty intriguing. Okay, I got one more for you, and it is this year's Mark Ingram. So the vet that we think we know, Stone Cold, right? And we think we've already seen his best, um, who surprises us with a career year. 
Yeah, my guy, I don't know if he qualifies quite as the boring vet, but uh, I love James Conner. He's definitely a vet. I mean, he's entering his fourth year, I believe. So uh, not quite as old as Ingram, I think, uh, was last year. But I think he's a really, really good player. He definitely had that one year when, when Bell held out where he was truly sensational. Last year was a little hit or miss, Rocky. The whole off, I mean, I'm just, I am wiping 2019 off the Pittsburgh map. I, I just... The volume was bad. The play was bad. They revamped their entire team context uh, to try to win and sneak into the playoffs. But Big Ben's back. That offense is rolling. I think Connor, if healthy, is a 20-touch guy every week. They want to use him as a bell cow. I am convinced of that. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't like predicting injuries. Uh, I want to know what am I going to get kind of on a per-game basis. And if I lose a couple games, I'll find a replacement. But I want to know when he's starting, what can I expect? And I think you can expect 20 touches from Connor, including receptions. And I, I love him. Actually, yeah, I think the big point with uh, with Connor is that my, you know Mike Tomlin's entire history is you know he he wants a bell cow rusher. He talked about it a little bit um, back in the back in the spring. I feel like it was an interview in in March or April where Tomlin was just saying that yeah, all, all things being equal, I, I prefer to have that one guy that I lean on. So I've I've read people trying to make Snell a thing and McFarlane a thing, and I just don't think it's going to be a like if this goes according to plan, it's going to be the James Conner show, and he's going to have to beg off the field um, if if he want if anybody else is going to get touches in that backfield as long as he's healthy. Yeah, hundred percent, and, and he gets call. receptions. I mean, he you know he's not yeah. just a banger. He he when he can definitely receive three or four passes a game, which I mean that's what you want for like the true elite level. You want. 18, 20 carries and four or five receptions. Yeah, the guy I'm going to throw out here, and I, I don't think he has a path necessarily to Mark Ingram sort of fantasy value, nor do I think he has a, a shot at double-digit touchdowns, which Ingram gave us last year. Uh, but I just want to toss out the name Matt Breida, uh, who I am landing in a ton of drafts. Um, I like him a little bit more than Jordan Howard, and I have a fair amount of respect for what Jordan Howard has done over the course of his career, too. Like, I don't I don't think he's a bad play. I think he could certainly be the goal line guy for Miami. I think that's definitely in play for him. But I think Breida is the guy who's going to catch um, the bulk of the passes out of the backfield. We know that that's not a, a great skill that Howard has. That matters a lot in half PPR and certainly full PPR. I think Brita can be a guy between the 20s, too. So maybe he's not the guy who gets the ball in goal-to-go situations, but he piles up yards. Um, I think he's probably in for one of the biggest workloads of his career. He's got to stay healthy. Although, uh, I think we have also seen over the years that when Matt Brita is ambiguously injured, he's at his best. Um, he's <laughs> had a lot of those games where he like hobbles off the field with an ankle issue, and then you think he's done for the year, and he comes back, and he gives you 100 yards. Um, I, I just think he's a hyper-talented player. He's been a five-yard-per-carry guy in, in San Francisco. He's got a great opportunity ahead of him, so uh, I'm... Like he's one of those guys where if I if I were a zero RB drafter, which I am not, uh, I would I would be looking at uh, at Breida pretty hard in like round six, round seven. Yeah, he's he's certainly I mean, extremely talented runner. Another one of those guys where it's like, you know what, coaches, just just give him 20, 20 touches. Just do it. I mean, if yeah. he gets injured, he gets injured. But give him because he's dynamic, like you said. I mean, and he can really hit that hole. And the nice thing is, even if he's only getting between the 20s work, he can score from the other 20. You know, he can score from right, from a right. long way. And, and then you get those really big splash plays uh, that can carry an entire week. So he's certainly interesting. I like yeah, both I think Miami a, backs. I think he's a pretty good candidate for 45 to 50 catches, certainly in a in a healthy season. 
I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, this was really fun. Um, again, it was a it was a great piece. We're going to link to it in the in the show description. People can check it out. You can follow Alfred on Twitter. He is wow two underscores. That must be a record. He's at Al underscore FF underscore Red. That's really complicated. Um, what what's going on? What do you, what do you have? Uh, what do you have in the works at Resball? Right. So uh, yeah, I'm, I actually just started a, a little series I'm going to do leading up to the season where <clears throat> I take kind of a stat. Uh, that may have been, uh, the title is fun with small samples. So, you know, kind of a a little stat that was intriguing from a team uh, from last year and and saying, well, what does that mean maybe for 2020? So I just released the AFC East and South, I believe it was. And so, you know, we'll go through however many it takes to get through each team, but every team is going to have a little stat I focus on and, and, uh, and see what that might mean for 2020. And that should lead up to the beginning of the season. And then I'll be doing wide receiver rankings, rest of season rankings each week, top 80. Also going to be doing an interesting thing, uh, a novel idea a little bit where I'm going to use our projection tool that Rudy does for each week and finding basically unowned guys uh, in your league who will be uh, kind of splash place for kind of like using DFS content kind of, oh, that's awesome. but to use yeah. it for even your season long head to head league. So guys who are just sitting on the waiver wire, but this week only pop them in and then you can drop them again. So kind of an enhanced streaming tool. I love yes. it. That's great. That's a really good idea. That's what we'll be well, working good. on. Uh, folks, we got, we got plenty of podcasts for you on the Yahoo network. Liz, Matt, and I are going to be doing a one hour live podcast called the cram session this week. It's Thursday. It's 7 p.m. Eastern time. You want to check that out. Uh, fantasy baseball still going on. It's occupying a huge uh, segment of my um, my life. I actually just drafted a, like a mid-season baseball league last night, which is crazy. <coughs> We're basically playing out a 30-game yeah. schedule. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever done in fantasy, but it was, it was a blast. Anyway, we've got the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast with Scott Pianowski. Uh, that's every week. Also, check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson, Therese Paler. That's always great. It's kind of a, without actually calling it a fantasy podcast, it's basically a fantasy podcast. That thing is awesome. Um, And the Yahoo Sports College Football podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, our friend Pat Forty from SI. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. Huge thanks to Brett Rader, our producer. Uh, Tomorrow, Matt Harmon is back with you. Until then, we are out. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.